So we can put up that slide. Um, this evening I want to speak about when life gives you more lemons than lemonade. And it comes from that saying that, um, that is very well known, when life gives you lemon, lemons, make lemonade. And basically what that refers to is when we face difficult situations, we need to make the best of it and use the difficult situations and turn it for the good. But life happens sometimes, and it just feels like that there's more difficulties than when there's, that there's positive things, and then you feel like you're drowning in this mess that you call life, and what do we do about that? And I've, and I've titled it this because I think sometimes, especially this time of the year, we are already almost six months into the year, can you believe it? Six months into this year. A lot has happened already, a lot of Sundays, a lot of coffees, a lot of arguments with your boss, a lot of situations that you found yourself in difficulties. Um, you might potentially even be tired this time of the year and feels like you need four holidays um, already and you don't have enough leave times to recharge. But I think with all of this, I think many of us face, this is somebody's phone, um, face ourselves with being tired this time of the year, and then many times when we are tired, we, it feels like everything is like hyper bad. <laughs> you get irritated just by the cat sitting on your, I don't know, doorstep. We have this one cat, Katrina's cat, um, that is quite a cutie. Um, yeah, Kat Katrina's cat is fine, but they, we have this other cat in the neighborhood, and they usually like fight and stuff. But when I get out every single day, there's a cat on my car, and then me and Esvan have this thing that we put the cat on one another's cars. So when we get out, we take a photo of the cat there. So even the cat is irritating you um, this time of the year. So what I want to do is I want to look at the life of Joseph as an example for us and pull some lessons out of his life. And I know there's many things that we can take out of his life, but specifically focusing on the difficulties and how we see God in the midst of that. And I think it, this will serve twofold. Number one, getting lessons from his life, applying it. But secondly, that we can learn how to actually approach the Bible and go into Scripture and say, God, what are you speaking not only directly to me, but through certain characters and certain people in the Bible? And I believe it's important for us. His story is unique. Definitely very unique, yet very common for all of us to relate with. But I can tell everybody, you have a unique story, yet there's nothing new under the sun. Amen? You have a very unique story and a unique situation, and nobody has lived 2023 like you've lived it. But the same feelings you are facing, the same pressures that you are facing, the same anxiety that you are facing, the same burnout that you are facing, the same depression that you are facing, there has been many before you that's faced exactly that with Opsan. Is it your phone? It is, it is your phone. Somebody's... <laughs> anyway... Um, I just want to put on a, uh, a timer here, otherwise I'm going to go on this whole evening. So I want to start off with the life of Joseph and specifically tell you, um, oh my head, sorry guys, I feel all over the place. 
Say again. Fancy, yeah. Okay, there we go. So the life of Joseph, for those that are visiting and maybe don't know church at all, and you just come to visit, so who is this Joseph guy? Joseph is a character in the Bible, and his great-great-great-grandfather was the well-known Abraham. And Abraham was a guy that God promised to him that he would make a great nation of this one man. And later on in his life, that came to fruition. But we see this legacy from Abraham. He had a child called Isaac, and Isaac had a child called Jacob. And Jacob was called Israel, that we have the nation of Israel now. But Jacob um, is also the father of this person that we're going to speak about, Joseph. He had many sons. Um, I think it was 12, 13, 12 sons that came to the 12 tribes of Israel that we know of. And we find the life of Joseph starting actually off as a 17-year-old boy. Their whole family was actually farmers to an extent that we would know. They looked shepherds. They looked after sheep. But in his family, they looked very down on, on Joseph because his father loved him and spoiled him. And in a sense, I was the funny family. They just looked at him like, oh, this is amazing, and he's great. And actually, the story tells that the, 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 his own brothers hated him. The story goes that he got sold into slavery. In slavery, um, actually, he became somewhat important and a leader in Egypt, he got betrayed, and then he went into prison. From prison, he interpreted some dreams, and after he interpreted some dreams, Pharaoh heard of this guy that can interpret dreams, and then he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, and God supernaturally brought him out of prison to, a, to the second in charge of the whole of Egypt. Amazing. And later on, we see that that brought actually the deliverance of all of his people, his fathers and his brothers, to, to bring into Egypt, and they lived in Egypt in prosperity. So that's in basic what Joseph is all about, the life of Joseph. So I'm going to pray for us as we just jump into three, I'm going to keep it short, three different points that we can learn from the life of Joseph. So Father, we trust that during this time, Lord, that there will be such a sense of of Christ. Just as Leonard asked, what am I going to preach about? I'm going to preach about Jesus. Father, and I trust during this time that we will learn more about Jesus and the closeness of Jesus and God with us. And Father, even as the prophetic words came that we are jaws of clay, we are fragile. We are fragile, Lord, and we know that we can easily break and we can easily fall and we can easily find ourselves in a difficult space. Lord, I thank you that you are with us. And Lord, I trust that as we face the difficulties of life, that we will know even more that Christ is with us. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start off with the first point. Joseph did not grow up in the perfect family situation or circumstances. And, oh, there's a slide. There we go. <laughs> Joseph didn't grow up in the perfect family situation. And why I'm starting here is because when we find ourselves in a place of tiredness, it's not always just our circumstances in the immediate that influence us. But many times when we are tired and face difficulties, our past show up as well. Now, not only you are facing 
your friends approaching you and saying, no, you can't come with to the movie night. Now it feels like the whole world is rejecting you because you have felt rejection in your past and it feels like it's surfacing again. And why we are starting this year, because Joseph didn't have a perfect family life. So we will see as he goes through his journey and going through different things, we would actually see surfacing of difficulties in his own life that he needs to face continually, not only once off, but a couple of times. And I sometimes see this as, they call it the toothpaste test, that you will have toothpaste, but you don't know what is in this little thingy until pressure comes. And many times when pressure in life comes, you are like so surprised that you're feeling the way you are feeling, but actually it was always there. No, I'm burned out. That's why I'm feeling why I'm feeling. No, 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 no. You've always been. There's something, a brokenness in us and a hurt in us. It's just surfacing now. The rejection you are feeling now is not always just the now, but it comes from your parents or your old friends or past hurts that you have experienced. So the toothpaste taste we will get to go through a lot in life as pressure comes. So in the life of Joseph, I'm not going to read all the scriptures, there are so many, but he was looked down on to to an extent that he was actually hated by his own brothers. It says it three times in one chapter, then you mean they really hated this guy, that your own brothers hate you. I know you say it like, oh, yo, and then you run off. It's not that type of hate. They, they resented him and wanted to push him away. And there was such an extent of hatred in their heart that it led to them coming together and mocking him. Because he brought certain dreams, because he did grow up in a Christian family. His father was Israel, the nation of Israel. So there was a, a sense of God in their family. But... Yet his brother hated him in that situation. God spoke to Joseph about certain things he wanted to do in his life. And Joseph brought his dreams to his family. Maybe you had a dream one day and you brought it to your family. And you're like, this is what God told me. And they started to mock him. Did you really think you're going to rule over us? Who are you? you? You're the youngest. And the older brothers just like standing there. And they, he got bullied in his own family. It led to him being misunderstood to the point of his brothers looking at him and saying, let's kill this guy. Let's kill him. It didn't end up them killing him, but selling him, selling Joseph to another country, and he went off to Egypt. So all of us have faced difficulties in our own life, but you've never been sold by your own family. Amen. And if you have, you can share your testimony next week. It would be quite something. But none of us have been hated to such an extent that say, let's ship this guy. Let's put him let's, on the boat to a country that slavery is still legal and put him overseas. And there we go. So Joseph grew up with a lot of family and rejection hurt in his life, just like all of us. Even if you are sitting here, you can actually come to a point and you look back and like, that area, this area, this thing, my family... Even as I'm standing here, I I grew up in a broken family. My parents got divorced when I was very young. And that causes us to see the world through a certain lens. I think many of you, your parents are, are divorced, remarried maybe again. And you see the world through a rejection lens. 
that you're never good enough. And you sit with this hurt in your heart that you need to prove yourself. You need to prove to the world that you can make it even that because I come out of all of this, I will make it in life. Or the opposite is true and you say, I will never make it in life. I will never make it in life. And you just go, sit back. I remember a story of, um, of a little girl, and it's a true story that had a, um, a disease. And this disease caused her to feel no pain. No pain. And the first time I heard that, I'm like, that is great. <laughs> the amount of rugby games I would have won. And, and I, I just going through all of this stuff. But what started to happen is she would stand at the stove and she would put her hand on the, on the warm plate or something there. And she would burn her hands, but she couldn't have any feeling. So she would lift it up and all her hands will be burned. Or she would run around at school as a little girl. She will step into thorns or even um, a, a nail. And she wouldn't know that she just stepped into something. And then she come home and the whole carpet is full of blood. And she looks down and, oh, shock, there's a nail through my foot. But she had no feeling. And the story goes that a mom every single night prayed for her. And she prayed one prayer every single night. And she said, God, let my daughter feel pain again. God, please, let my daughter feel pain. Because if there wasn't any pain, she can't, she can't know that there's something wrong in her life. And that is exactly the same for us. If we don't have pain, we won't know that there's something desperately wrong in this world. Desperately wrong. Sin is causing us to hurt. And it points that we need a Savior. And that story has kept ringing in my ears every time I face difficulty because it points to a God that can deliver me. And I want to ask us in our own life, and as we are on this topic of the past and hurt, do you have, till today, still wounds of the past? If you look at your heart, if you look at difficulty, and this might even be a difficult message because it, to a large extent, it confronts us with the Stuff of the past. But many of us, my, myself and Brigitte spoke about it, have this avoidance mechanism built into us, especially in South Africa. If something in South Africa, Africa goes wrong, there's a meme two seconds later. It, and it made fun of the whole situation. You know what that is? It's something built into our culture of avoidance. We just laugh at it, but actually it sucks. We just try to avoid it. Oh, no, then it's better. It doesn't take it away. It's actually just throwing the carpet over it. It's like a family fight happening, and it's all crazy. Nobody says sorry. We just go sit at the table again, and we make as if nothing happened. That's the whole South Africa. And it's actually sad. We don't confront our pain directly. We just avoid it. As Christians, what do we do? We start to serve. We just do Christian things. We just become busy with the things of God, hoping that the pain would go away, never allowing God into the pain at all. So I think some of us might be sitting still with wounds in our heart from the past, but I want to ask the question, what is happening with that wound if you look at it? Is it staying the same? Because then we need to dig into that thing and say, this thing needs to become smaller. Or is it actually becoming smaller and you're allowing the Lord to work into the pain of your heart? But I think for some of us, I think our wounds are infectious. 
that you have experienced pain in the form of rejection. A wound has opened up, and now what you do is you start to reject others. When your community becomes close, something, all of a sudden, something, every, every time somebody gets close, you start to get an offense at somebody. You start to push away. And it's almost like that knee-jerk reaction in our hearts to not let anybody come closer because of pain. That's infection. And you start to hurt others. You start to put up walls in your heart. But I think for some of us in, in this time, and I need to move on from this, is that you have found healing in the past in your wounds, and it has become scars. But the scars on your body is still very sensitive. Scars will always remind you of the past, and nobody can take that away from you. But especially in times of difficulty, it feels like the scars are a little bit more sensitive. And I remember uh, in this week, actually, uh, I went to exercise with the Fries, asking him about it. He has a wound from that, from that <laughs> training time. <laughs> and his toilet has a wound now. Um, And we went to go and exercise in, in Ati, and we did a lot of, um, we did one exercise a lot, and that's lunges. But a couple of years ago, I had a knee operation, and I have a scar um, in the middle of my knee. And every time I went down on a, to do a lunge, the scar obviously had a lot of constant um, impact with the floor the whole time, just that, the whole time. Didn't hurt at all. Just that throughout the whole exercise. And then at the more to the end, um, I know Ati and them were standing around, but then also the trainers, she's like, what's happening to your knee? I'm like, what's happening to my knee? And I looked down, and just this little piece on my scar started to swell so much. I'm like, oh, my hat, we need to cut that out. They're like, what is going on down there? I'm like, it didn't hurt that much. There's nothing wrong with my knee, but because of the sensitivity of a past hurt, that, if, that little bit of impact all of a sudden made a big difference to my knee, and it started to swell. And I think sometimes that's with our emotional wounds as well. It scars, it heals, but forever in our life we will be reminded that we're more sensitive in that area. Broken jars of clay, allowing God to still work in those areas. John 14, verse 27 says the following. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let, your heart be let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Verse 20 of Matthew 28 says the following. The last bit. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The world teaches us that peace and, in a sense, a prosperous life comes when situations or circumstances, exterior, is good to go. And then emotionally, we will come in alignment. That is not the way of the kingdom. That is not the way of the kingdom. God says that the way that I will bring peace is not the way the world will bring peace, but is the interior peace that He will bring despite your circumstances. So let us not look for always the perfect circumstances to find peace, but allow Christ to work in your heart. Point number two, 
God was with Joseph when circumstances was not. God was with him through all of that. When his brothers, and I'm just going to go through a couple of examples, when his brothers tried to kill him, some way, shape, or form, the hand of God was in the midst of that. Because one brother stood up, the oldest brother stood up against all the other brothers and say, we're not going to kill him. His blood is going to be on our hands. Let's find another way. And he wasn't killed that day. He was just thrown into a pit. Somewhere through the story, as I read it, it seems like the brother Reuben went away. And then during that time, there was another brother named Judah that came to the forefront and said, let's sell him. And they sold him, and he ended up in Egypt. And when Reuben came back, he's like, where is this guy? Like, no, we sold him. And basically, that was also, as I looked at it, it was the hand of God. They could have left him in that pit. And it said that the pit had no water. He would have died within four days, five days. He would have died in that pit. Nobody would have found him. They would have just left him. But the hand of God, some way, shape, or form, made him to be sold. And he didn't die that day. He ended up under a guy named Potiphar. And the hand of God, the slave Joseph, not even a part of the Egyptian culture or language or whatever they spoke of, in that made him rise into becoming a great leader. Let's read a little bit. Um, chapter 39, verse 1 to 5 in Genesis uh, says the following of his experience underneath Potiphar. Do you say again? Okay. We can go on. Basically, underneath Potiphar, there was such a... There we go. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard and the Egypt, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Here we go. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. For the time that he had made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. God blessed even a nation because of one man. God was with Joseph, not with the Egyptians, but blessing came because of one man in a situation. Do you recognize the hand of God over one of his children in a situation in your life? It goes on that he got thrown into prison. After that, he got betrayed by Potiphar's wife that wanted to sleep with him, and he said, no, 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 no. And then he said, let's betray this guy. And they betrayed him, and he ended up into prison. And in prison, once again, he raised up into becoming a, a great leader in prison and overseeing the different prisoners. What a rugged guy. There was the dream interpretation that was a supernatural act of God. We find the Spirit of God was in Joseph and people recognize it. Pharaoh recognized and says, we have not found a man like this that the Spirit of God is in. This is like a Buddhist coming to you and saying, the Spirit of God is in you. 
another religion, another culture, they're coming to you and they're recognizing that there's something different in you. And Joseph raised to power. Romans 5.1 says the following, Therefore, since we have been justified or made right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, the peace of God is not only exterior thing or circumstances thing that influence you from the outside. It's inside. It's inside. Is it enough in your life that you just have peace with God? Or do you say, God, I want you and all your add-ons. I need all the add-ons. I need to have a peaceful life. And we can pray for that. But do you recognize God in the midst of your difficulty? The very, very plans and schemes of the enemy when you're going through tiredness, difficulty, depression, just a, in a sense, a toothpaste pressure moment is to cause you to feel that you can't run to God. It's such an interesting thing. The very means of peace for your life, the prince of peace, and the enemy has, has you in his hands to not cause you to run to the salvation of this world. And I think we need to recognize that in our pressure moments and in our tired moments, that actually more than ever you need God. More than ever, you need the people of God. More than ever, you need community. We love to run away from community. I'm too busy. I'm too this. I'm too that. And we find ourselves so far that we feel ashamed and we can't come back to that place. You need God and the people of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says the following. For this light and momentary affliction, I love the wording, but it, yet, it's a very much an affliction. Do you recognize that? I'm not putting away the rejection or the hurt or the things that you are feeling, the tiredness. But it is light and it is momentary in light of. It's preparing for us the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporal. But the things that are that oh, other way around. But the things that are unseen are eternal. The things of God, the peace of God, the life that we will have with God one day is eternal. Why do we fixate on a, a week or two of things going wrong? In light of eternity, in light of the peace of God, in light of us no longer needing to fear our own sinfulness and our own lives of being in a sense, separated before God, and we have peace with Him. In view of that, everything else should grow very dim. I wrote here, our hope in this life is, because of our relationship with Jesus, that there's another one to follow. There's another world to come. This is not the end destination on earth. We live for something so far beyond this life. I'm ending with this. Joseph had to confront old pain and find God in it. Genesis 40 verse 15. Do you have that? It says the following. This is Joseph speaking and saying, For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. It's very interesting that he says stolen there because he was actually sold. 
And here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. And as I read that, it just jumped at me. When he was writing this, he was writing this out of prison. He wasn't in a pit. He was in a prison. And I went to go look at it. It wasn't, I thought like maybe their prison cells was like pits and they put them in there. It wasn't. But as I read this, I can, I can see something of a pattern that Joseph was remembering that the same experience and feeling that he's experiencing in the now moment in prison is when he had it in the pit, when his brothers threw him in there. There was a rejection that he felt there, and now there's another rejection that he's feeling in the now. And he had to, has been once again confronted with that same hurt in his life. But we do find when he revealed himself, we find um, that he uh, was raised to power, second to Pharaoh after this event, that once again he had to be confronted with his old pain because his brothers came to ask for money. But now he had the power to reject his brothers. He actually had the power to kill them. And he could have said, you tried to kill me. I got the power. <laughs> and he could have killed them in that moment. But this is what happened 45 verse 1 to 3 says the following. Joseph could not control him himself before all those who stood by, by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So he's sitting on his throne. His brothers is coming in. A lot of guards on the side. And he's chasing all the guards out. That is just him and his brothers. And now he needs to confront the situation. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. They were shocked. This is our brother. I think they were so fearful. But he wept aloud. And I want to say, when you confront old pains, tears might follow. I have this pain medicine in my heart that's actually not medicine, it's more poison, that I despise tears as Enre. Because when, I, when tears come, it reminds me of the tears I experienced as a child. And I try to control myself, I try to push it down, and I run away. But I found the healing comes when tears comes. When there's a sense of allowing the pain, allowing the pain for a moment and saying, God, I put it into your hands. And we see the end of this, and I'm ending with this. A um, couple of verses later, Joseph recognizing the very purpose of his brother selling him. And God sent me, and he's explaining to his brothers, God sent me before you. God sent me before you. He was sold by his brothers. He wasn't sent. It wasn't God. It was his brothers. But he recognized the hand of God in the midst of that. To preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. That is incredible. That he recognized and he, and he looked at the moment in front of him. His past hurt, the pressure moment, confronted with the rejection and the mockery and the bullying and the, just that feelings. And he's saying, God was in the midst of all of this. 
and he allowed God back into that and he found healing to such an extent that he brought his whole family and they prospered together. Are we allowing God into our situations? Or is there avoidance in our heart? Or are we running around the situation? And I believe God is calling us to sit, not in our pain, but confronting our pain and saying, I will deal with this because freedom only comes through it. Through it. And I'm just thinking of even, there's certain sins in our life that we say sorry and we avoid it. But we never ask the question, why is this here in the first place? Why, why am I running the whole time to this thing rather than to God? But because we just put a plaster on the wound, it never heals. And I think one of them are sexual sins. I'm a little bit off the cuff here, just sharing. Sexual sins, we avoid it. No, don't ask why in the very first place am I struggling with this? Why, why is this my medicine and not the Lord? And I think the second one, um, more for the ladies, is eating disorders. That we struggle obsessively with running to food or running to things and just not running to the Lord. And I believe the Lord wants to come into those areas that you have covered with plasters, and the plaster is shame. And we hide it from others and from God. And I believe the Lord wants to come into those areas because every time you're tired, when you're lonely, when, you, when the pressure cooker comes, those things pop. And you don't run to the Lord, you run to the false medicine of this world. Amen. So what I would love us to do um, is to pray in closing. But how I would love us to pray is, if you even during this time felt, God, there's stuff I need to sort out. And this might not be the appropriate time to preach a message like this, because it feels like now I don't have energy to deal with my past. It's June, and right? it's like holiday time. It's like we're going low, we're chilling. It's cruise control in August. We usually pick up things like this. I think it's the perfect time. Because at the end, it's not you dealing with it. It's God dealing and sorting it out and recognizing the, the hand of God in these areas. So when we face with it head on, that's the perfect time to say, God, it's your time to shine. It's your time to work this. It's your time to bring healing. It's your time to take this wound and take the infection away so that we can start to stitch this thing up. Healing can come, and later on, it's only a remembrance of a testimony of God. It's still a scar. It's still your past. It's still very real. We're not taking that away. But there's something of the hand of God in that. Amen. Let's close our eyes. And the way I would love to facilitate this is while I was preparing, I, I had a song on my heart, and I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> sing it out. But I'm going to play it for us. <laughs> but what I would love us to do is that if you have, during this time, just sat there and I'm like, yeah, that, that's the area in my life. Maybe as I mentioned, I mentioned rejection a lot of time. You feel like, yeah, that's me. Maybe divorce is still a very real thing in your life. 
although it's 5, 10, 20 years later on, you still look at that days. You remember the events of old. Maybe you were pressed down by a group of people in school even. And I'm mentioning it way, way, way back because it has a very real impact on the now. Wherever hurt has crept in, an avoidance mechanism and just trying to run away rather than face head on and allowing God in that area. I would love to pray for those, area, for those areas. But what I would love to do is that you would stand with me. I'm standing because all of us to a large extent have wounds in our hearts. And then what I'm going to do is if you are standing, I'm going to ask the people around you to stand with you. And then I'm just going to play that song. It's going to be five minutes or so and allow God to minister. Because I think one of the defense mechanisms that we do is we just run to people. And although that is a good thing and it's a God thing, I think firstly we need to learn to run to God himself. To run to Jesus firstly. And then later on saying, God has placed people around me to walk the journey with me. But initially healing only comes by God. So if that's you, let's stand together. Maybe I'm going to ask Arne to, to help me just here in front.